got to do it himself. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. And DeBrosa, young, safe, and Washington wins it. Taking nobody home, picked off by Miller, goes ahead, lanes on the other wing. He finds oh! Live for the March Madness first weekend recap episode. I'm Casey Prendergast, your host as always with Ben. How are you doing out there, Ben? I'm doing great, and it was a it was exhausting weekend of basketball, but uh, an exhaustion I will take every single weekend if you would give it to me because some of the best basketball games I've ever seen were this weekend. Incredible. A little extra exhausting for you being that you were on site in Fort Worth. What was the energy like in the building? It was amazing energy. I think it helped that four of the fan bases were very strong fan bases and three of them were within driving distance with Creighton, Baylor and Kansas. And then you throw in a national brand like UNC that has, you know, I'll just go ahead and say it a lot of Walmart fans and so it was it was four packed fan bases and uh, all four of those teams moved on to the second round. So we had some great games in the uh, Dickies Arena in Fort Worth, a beautiful arena. If I do say my, so myself, but uh, yeah, a little tired driving back and forth, but ready to go. Yeah, um, I got I got the go ahead that I will be on site for the final four. So that's very exciting. I can't. You know, after uh, now we're in the sweet 16, I'm trying to decide who who do I think would be the most fun to see in person? Um, do I want to see Coach K? Do, do I do I welcome that? Do I welcome Texas Tech after they shellac him? Do I welcome Gonzaga as Gonzaga is on the brink of secretly becoming the new Duke? I, I think that'll be a fun offseason topic. I've noticed how much people hate Gonzaga now. I don't know if you've noticed that as well, but. People do not like Gonzaga. And then a lot of it's uh, Drew Timmy. At least the people I know, uh, like my good friend Ford, hates Gonzaga just because of Drew Timmy. He just thinks he's an annoying person. And rightfully so. He is is an annoying person. Also, a little breaking news right now, Ben. Uh, South Carolina hires Chattanooga's Lamont Paris, head coach of Chattanooga initial thoughts on the hire 
think it's a good hire. I also think it's about their fourth choice. It seemed like they were trying to get some of these coaches that got hired, and uh, specifically Mac McMahon, which got the LSU nod, and um, I think they scraped up whatever they could. Yeah, but he's a good it, coach. He, he's a great coach, and but I, I do kind of agree. It does seem seem like maybe that was that was the case. He didn't he didn't win his first round game, so you know yeah. he he couldn't he couldn't muster it. <laughs> Probably a but bone. yeah, right. Uh, but that's a good segue into, you know, before we get into the tournament, let's our LSU Tigers, let's discuss it. Make a big hire with Matt McMahon right off the gate. My initial thoughts, I'll let you kind of marinate on yours for a second. I love the hire. Um, you know, we we had kind of mentioned it on on the Will Wade recap. He was one of the last two coaches we mentioned alongside with Casey Alexander in terms of small, small major coaches that we could see taking that Will Wade job, um, you know, and, and being the successor of, of LSU now. And I, I like it. Um, my concerns would be the, the jump in recruiting he's going to have to make just off of a brief pass of his, of the Murray state two for seven. I mean, they've never gotten a four star, so he's immediately going to be recruiting a kind of a new class of players. He obviously knows, the South relatively well in terms of Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia area from Mississippi. I saw. Yeah, he he did recruit a lot of players from Mississippi, which is good. Um, but the thing is, college basketball is so unique from a recruiting perspective. It's not really like football where you kind of just want in those states and and the locations. Basketball is so so prep school oriented. And on it's AAU this, circuits and knowing yeah, AAU coaches. Exactly. And, and so I, I am worried about him not knowing this, not knowing the right circuits right away. And in that regard, that being said, his X's and O's and what he brings to the table in the offensive end, I think is very impressive. He's, you know, his guard play speaks for itself. You saw it this weekend with Tevin Brown, Justice Hill, and and Trey Hannibal. So yeah, I, I like the hire. Um, I kind of stand by that LSU is probably going to get a year uh, of suspension at most. Um, I think the people who are saying two, three years are kind of out there on an island. Um, but yeah, I, I like the hire. What are your thoughts? I like the hire as well. I don't think you were ever going to get a power five coach in an established program. No one with a head coach opening this year got one of those guys to come away. I mean, the biggest name that a team that team probably got to pull away was Maryland with Kevin Williard at Seton Hall, and it's Seton Hall, you know. So, I mean, you could say Georgia with Mike White, but it seemed like Mike White was on his <laughs> way out one way or the other to me and from what the Florida fans were saying. So I'm not very impressed by that either. So it seemed like there was not a lot of big names changing schools this cycle. So I, I liked out of what you had to draw from, I liked the decision they made. I think he's a great coach. I will say one thing, if you don't know anything about him, I don't think they could have hired a coach any different, any more different than Will Wade. I, I think this is going to be a completely different style of coaching. He's more of an offensive guy. He's more of a set, drawing up sets. He's, um, more of an X's and O guy rather than Jimmy's and Joe's and, you know, all effort and all 
toughness. He, he's he really likes to draw some stuff up to get his guys open, back cuts, ball screens, off ball screens. They've been tagged point guard you, I think, for a reason because they share the ball. They really focus on getting their guards open on ball screens, going downhill, finding guys off the drive. And uh, they're top 50 this year in, in the country in offensive and defensive efficiency. You got to be doing something right down there. The way he's developed, somebody like Tevin Brown, I think really speaks wonders. And uh, I think Tevin Brown's one of the best guards in the country. I think Tevin Brown could step in the SEC next year and he would be just fine. Um, his development of players, I think, is something that if you were an LSU fan throughout the years, under Will Wade, you kind of thirsted for a little bit. It didn't seem like, I mean, other than Darius Days, I can really think of none of your players. Skylar Mays, but that was Skylar Mays. That was, was kind of before two Will coaches. As well. Yeah, I thought Darius Days <laughs> developed very well, but other than that, it's it's hard to point to players that just developed into great players out of you know. Nothing basically like Murray. I mean, Emmett, Emmett Williams is the one example where I point to where it's like he he came back and the only thing different about him was he changed his number. I mean, like, and he pulled his there, shorts up. Yeah, yeah. Like there is no difference in his game. Uh, like he didn't he didn't develop anything, and, and that's no disrespect to Emmett. I mean, that's kind of like on Wade and his staff to do that. So that yeah, and that, I think that's that... a great example of it. I think the other thing is I don't think you're going to get elite recruiting right off the bat like you did with Will. And you yeah. could say it was throwing the money around, but one way or another, he got those recruits in the door and he got them on the floor for LSU. And uh, I don't think you're going to – I mean, you're obviously not going to see that right away with the sanctions, but even after the sanctions, I don't think you're going to see that kind of elite two five-stars coming in the same year recruiting at a Mac McMahon. But I think, I think you're going to like the product he puts on the court even next year, even probably with a less talented roster, I think you're going to like the way that Tigers play basketball. Yeah, you're, you're not. Um, I, I'm sorry, LSU fans. You can just kiss the uh, five stars goodbye. Like, I'm just I'm just being honest. Um, we're going to have to build our roster with like three, four stars and two, three stars, guys who, you know, can can develop and, and become something special which is, is fine. Like that's, that's definitely one way to win at, 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 col- at the college I mean, look basketball at, league. Look at like, Texas tech this year. Yeah, exactly. And none um, of those guys are elite recruits. No, no, none of them. The, the big thing though is going to be the transfer portal. So <laughs> it's loaded again um, this year from what I can already tell. It's really early and there's a lot of guys in there, you know, mostly yeah, from small schools players. so far because the big schools are still in the tournament slash just got out of the tournament, so so they really made those decisions yet. But the smaller schools that were done with the season a couple of weeks ago, there's a lot. Of, I mean, I'm thinking about the the point guard from Princeton right now, and then Nelly Cummings from um, Colgate. Colgate. Yeah, there's if you don't know who big name mid major players. Yeah, no, I I went. Um, I expect I to see I more flood in. That's all. I would I'm expect saying. to see more flood in, but uh. You know, we'll talk about Matt McMahon more more later. I think we should go ahead and flow into the tournament because it was just a tantalizing four days, and it, it kicked off on Thursday with a bang. There were some great games. I think the first one of the day that, that really took us all by surprise was this Richmond-Iowa game. A lot of people at Iowa going far in their brackets a lot. They had all the momentum. They had all the momentum. One of my friends said this before the tournament, though. It's hard to keep momentum for a whole week. 
you know, you have all this momentum going the conference tournament and you sit down for six days and you get on planes and you get on your couch and you sleep in your hotel bed and the momentum kind of dissipates. Yeah, you, you do interviews, you, you know, you're talking, you're doing shoot around and, and new drills and um, in, in different new arenas, yeah, different, different locker rooms. Yeah, it's, and it kind of dissipates over time, and that's definitely what happened to Iowa, man. They they just could not put the ball in the basket. One of the best shooting teams in the country, especially from three pointers, just could not buy one. Just could not buy one. They uh they got out physical a little bit here and there, but but really they just couldn't score the basketball. I mean, as one of the best scoring teams in bas- in the whole country this year, they could not score the basketball. Shot just, a nice six of twenty nine from the three point line. To put in perspective. Yeah, and I want to say their team three-point shooting was in the upper 30s, like above. I want to say it was 38% or something like that. Yeah. Um, their their three-point percentage for the year was 36.3%, which was 46th in the country. And this is an offense that was in third the Big in, Ten. Yeah, that's incredible. And they were third in adjusted efficiency with a 120.5 rating. Um, you know. All the metrics love them, but this is why March is so beautiful, Ben, because you can just rip it all to shreds because you might go six of 29 from the three point line and uh, lose to Richmond, who, you know, respectfully to Richmond, they're not that great of a team. I mean, like they're they're a good team. Don't get me wrong, but they're like the third, fourth best team in the A-10. You know, like this was not a. This was not a oh a pesky twelve no, this seed was not like an, an elite twelve no. seed that bl- kind of like a Vermont that blazed through the season. You were yeah. like oh my gosh they're gonna be trouble. It was a team that just really got together in the tournament and played three really good games <coughs> and took and advantage I mean, of yeah. some of their teams in the conference not playing that well. And, and like I don't I don't want to take I don't want to take away anything from them. No, they played great. like Jacob Jacob Gilliard's a complete stud. I mean the five nine senior guard, twenty four points four threes he you know, he, he does it all he's got he had six of six six rebounds he's five foot nine and then you have tyler burton who i think you know n- not without getting too nba heavy you know he's got an nba body um I, I could see him he's got a good stroke he had 18 points and nine rebounds so i i mean they were they were fine but you, you, you can't get out rebounded by grant colden end of the day Basically, that that's what it, that's what it boils down to is if you get out rebounded by Tyler Burton and Grant Golden on the inside, um, you, you kind of don't deserve to win the game. Like just being just being honest. Yeah, and if it wasn't for a special shooting performance by Patrick McCaffrey, the game would have got really out of hand, and it wouldn't have even been close at the end. So, um, yeah, I mean, props to the Richmond Spiders for pulling it off, but. Just thought Iowa just just didn't show up in this game, and uh, the ball wouldn't go in the basket. Uh, the next game of the day that that uh, threw everyone for a loop was this New Mexico State UConn game. I think this threw us for a loop too because we did not see Teddy Allen going off like this against one of the best perimeter defensive teams in the country in UConn. He was just unconscious. I mean, yeah, we were, <laughs> we were, we um... were. We were pretty bullish on this UConn defense and said they have so many people they can throw at them. There's there's just no way Teddy Allen's going to be able to keep going. He's, you know, he, he's going to get cold. And um, he did not. 
He he made every single shot like ever. Um, and there were tough shots too. It wasn't like no, it was they, a UConn played well defensively. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a oh my gosh, how did you leave Teddy Allen open again? How did you leave Teddy Allen? Like, no, like they were in his face and he he could not miss. He was unconscious this game, like you said, 37 points and they needed every bit of them uh for this win. It was it was a great win, and um, you know, their their coach used it to go to another job. Hey, yeah, Teddy Allen went four seven from three and thirteen to thirteen from the free throw line. Uh, no one else on the team shot a free throw other than Teddy Allen, which I thought was interesting. But uh, I mean, it really was just all him. I will say, UConn offensively was extremely disappointing. I didn't think they rotated the ball like. They usually do. It kind of got heavy in RJ Cole's hands, which I thought he did a pretty good job. But they have so many guys that they really just have to share the ball, and I think that would have been fine. And it, it didn't go that way. They missed a lot of layups. Sonogo was kind of underwhelming. I thought he should have dominated that matchup he had. And uh, Sonogo was extremely disappointing. That was I don't I don't want to say like oh that's why you lost, but it it, it didn't help. I'll just put it that way. No, it did not help at all. And again, them getting out-rebounded by this New Mexico State team, there's no excuse for that. I mean, I know we talk about that with Iowa, with Richmond, but there's absolutely no excuse for this. A UConn team with the length and the big bodies they have to get out-rebounded by New Mexico State. Yeah, it was, it was pretty troubling. What's the next game we got? Uh, you want to talk about? I mean, there the were, there were one, so many good ones. The big yeah, one, I, We have St. to Peter's, talk about it. Kentucky. Yeah, um, let, let's let's discuss it. Uh, I mean, I think it's time to uh, fire Cal. Obviously, <laughs> we need to we need to get rid of Cal. Um, you know, the lifetime contract you can rip it up. But no, um, in, in all honesty, Cal Cal didn't turn the ball over. Like Cal didn't shoot those shots. I mean, Oscar Schwewa was the only one that came out to play. Kelly Grady was unreal. He played 30 a great and 16. Game. I mean, I guess he could have had a 50 30 game, but I mean, he, he played great. At, at some point, someone else has to help the guy. Yeah, six offensive rebounds. Kellen Grady, one of nine from the field. I mean, yeah. Ty Ty Washington, two of 10 from the field. Just, that's just not going to get it done when two of your backcourt guys, especially Kellen Grady, who's been great from three point. All season goes one of seven. Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty looked flustered with the basketball in their hands. They didn't make the right decisions with the ball. Severe Wheeler had six turnovers. Um, you know, Calipari is trying to create this whole narrative where, you know, the two guards were out for three weeks or whatever, and the team was never right after that. I thought they came back and played some very good games after. I thought the team played some great games after they came back. I mean, I don't know. It just was a no. That, that come on, you know that 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 was a Cal answer. That was a oh, classic Cal answer. But he's gonna he's gonna do that, especially after he loses. Um, and, and here's the thing: they had less turnovers. Like they only had 13 turnovers to St. Peter's 15. They had more offensive rebounds. They had 14 offensive rebounds to St. Peter's eight. You know, I, I mean, where the game was kind of won and lost to me was St. Peter's made their made their three pointers. They went nine of seventeen, 
and they made their free throws 18 of 21, whereas Kentucky went 23 of 35 that you're leaving so many points on the, on the board there, mm-hmm. not to mention Xavier Wheeler. Like, like, did he, did he even like care about that? He had the basketball, like he was just giving it away six turnovers for the kid. I mean, yeah, he had six assists, but if you're going to turn the ball over six times, that it's a zero, like you didn't do anything. Um, the thing, the thing to me, Ben, that like most impressed me about the St. Peter's team. And obviously we're going to talk about them later on just because they've been so incredible. The big thing for me is this game goes into overtime. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know the stats on it. I, I want to try to find it. I want to research it, but like, you have to feel that in, in the games where the talent disparity is as great as it is in, in Kentucky and St. Peter's, you know, th- this isn't like when Baylor goes into overtime against North Carolina, that's still Baylor against North Carolina. You go into overtime against St. Peter's and you think that, okay, they're just going to like, you know, take a deep breath, go inside to Oscar Shweeway, dominate this. They'll win by like 10 points in overtime. And you're like, how, you know, well, Cal, Cal and Kentucky got pushed, but no, like St. Peter's welcomed it. They, they destroyed them on that last defensive possession at the end of the game. You know, Kentucky plays for one shot. It's a tie game. And St. Peter's just plays absolute lockdown defense. That's the, I mean, that's the MO of the St. Peter's team. You look at their metrics, they're top 30 in defensive efficiency. They're, you know, turnover percentages in the top, in the top half of the country. So they're a great defensive team. They play such phenomenal fundamental defense in terms of switching, helping. Um, but they're always boxing out. They do every little thing correct. And, you know, that's why they're in the sweet 16 and that's why they beat a team like Kentucky. But let's, let's go on to two other games that, that were really special Thursday night. I want to talk about Akron UCLA. This game was a little bit of a rock fight. At times, I thought Akron was going to pull it off. I gave Akron out as a potential money line play on our preview show. I thought it was going to hit. Unfortunately, Akron loses and the max streaks over. UCLA takes this game 57-53. Um, it, was, it was hard to stay focused on this game because I was switching back and forth between San Francisco Murray. There was so much good basketball on Thursday night, and I was you know finishing up St. Peter's Kentucky, but this game was awesome. Um, the, the point guard for Akron was really special. I want to I want to pull up his name and, and make sure I don't. It's it's a it's a hard Estinata. name to pronounce. Yes, yes. Yeah, he was he was really, really good. Um, was, you're right. It kind of was a rock fight, and it kind of came down to who was going to make the big time shots. And I really thought that's when uh, UCLA's experienced players who've been there in the tournament before really showed up. Jules Bernard, Tyre Campbell, and Juzang all hit some really big shots at the end of that game. Tyre Campbell played exceptionally well. He had a big three at the end of the game. And that's just really what it came down to. You know, it was nip and tuck the whole game, and UCLA just really made some clutch shots. They've acted like they've been here before. Obviously, they have, and their experience really came through. You know, they didn't get the best shooting games out of really any of their guys other than Tyson, who went 6-12, 3-6-3 for 16 points. You're right. It was ugly at times, but but at the end, I thought the Bruins' experience came through, and uh, specifically their shot making and their clutchness at the end. 
Yeah, and and we'll talk about that experience shining through later on in this pod because, uh, you know, I, I definitely overlooked it at time. I'll, I'll admit that. I, I thought their run last year was pretty fluky, but what's not fluky is the experience that they gained from that run, and they've really propelled that going forward. So last game, um, probably the best shot-making game. Uh, no disrespect for, to Dougie Buckets Ebert of St. Peter's, but Tevin Brown and uh, James Bouye were put on a show. It was, it was incredible. Some of the shots that Bouye, you know, Tevin Brown has a lot of great players on his team. Yeah. Bouye, without their starting center out, who was also all conference player, really had to take it all on his shoulders. And they were all over him, and he didn't care. He was making thirty-two feet, thirty-two foot fadeaway threes. He he just really had the whole game on his shoulders. He was making just some unreal three-pointers, unreal shots, 13 to 26 from the field, 4 12 from three, 6 8 from the free throw line, finished with 36 points, only turned the ball over one time. Yeah, and he was he was touching the ball every single play. It was like, all him. He was, he was bringing it up, you know, doing doing it all, running the offense, um, and, and his decision-making while doing that was still very impressive. Like, it, was. it, it would have been very – Right. It would have been very easy for him to just start pulling up from like 35 and taking shots double team. But he still played within the confines of, of the offense. And for you to do that, um, it was it was it was pretty impressive. Uh, did he even come out the game Did he he played 45 minutes, right? I mean, yeah, he played 45. minutes. Yeah, he played. He played all 45. So did so, Justice Hill. Justice Hill played 45 yeah. minutes. And, and it when, was showing with Justice sure, Hill. I'm not even sure if he should have played 45 minutes because he was on the ground three times with cramps. <laughs> oh, no, he was he was going to the sidelines all the time. But I mean, what a performance from Justice Hill, uh, you know, couldn't buy a bucket from the three point line, but still six of nine from the two line. And he was he was just he was getting to the hole. Like that was the big thing for him was usually, you know, Matt McMahon, that's what we talked about. His, his guard centric offense. He was letting justice Hill definitely get to the hole. KJ Williams was, you know, doing work on inside. Um, and then obviously Tevin Brown was hitting some massive, massive shots, not to mention Trey Hannibal, but he did foul out. Um, this was, this was probably one of my favorite games of the tournament. Yeah, me too. At the end of the day, Murray State just had too many dudes, I think, for San Francisco, specifically with uh with their center out, who, who's a great player, and I thought it could have battled really well inside against this Murray State team. And, and yeah, the, the big three for Murray State comes up with 50 points, and that's what really pulled them through. And I thought Bouye got tired in overtime, which I, I don't I know. How you <laughs> the kid, I mean – I was just so impressed by him. I had talked about him before and how he played against the Gonzaga, and that's why I was so high on him. But man, that was that was another level. That was a completely another level. He had no help basically, and he was just coming down, getting double teamed, dribbling out of it, making step back threes. What a great game! What a great game to end yeah. Thursday and go into Friday. <laughs> on Friday, there there was a little bit less upsets on Friday. I, I will say a little bit less exciting. Yes. One that I thought was you really didn't cool. you didn't like uh you didn't like Ohio State uh Loyola Chicago 54 oh, 41. It was a it was a homage to the uh what was that the 2011 championship game where uh Butler, Butler yeah Yukon and Butler played in was 53 no, 41. I, I didn't enjoy that game at all, even though I had the under, so that was nice. But uh 
I don't think Loyola Chicago could miss more layups if they tried. They couldn't. They couldn't. Even though Texas Tech tried to miss more than them last night. But, Texas uh, Tech did try to miss more layups last night. A team that I really thought was going to pull off the upset Friday was, was Chattanooga. They led the whole game. They had their they had their foot in front the whole game, and they, they just couldn't finish it off. I don't know if they got tired or, you know, the physicality of Illinois got to them, but they just really couldn't figure it up, uh, finish it off. This was another game that was kind of a rock fight throughout, and uh, Illinois win probability game. Yeah, Illinois just made a couple shots at the end, and and that was the difference. But I was impressed by this Monks team. I thought that they played really well. Uh, their end of the game execution wasn't that great, and um, Alfonso Palmer ended up winning the game on two two clutch free throws with twelve seconds left. But uh, you know, I was very impressed by Chattanooga. I thought, thought they played a very complete game on both sides of the floor. They they really did well in Coburn, and he still got his obviously, but they didn't let him take over the game. You know, he only had seventeen points, which I mean. That's good. If you hold Kofi Coburn to 17 points in a game and six to 12 from the field, he, he, he did go five or 10 for the free throw line, which helped you out a little bit. But um, yeah, I just thought they had a sound plan, sound game plan going into the game and they really just couldn't finish in the crunch time. Yeah. Another game that caught my eye was definitely this Michigan state Davidson game, um, you know, really back and forth. You had, you know, it, it was low scoring, throughout but low scoring in terms of like i guess like high volume scores with the exception of joey hauser who had 27 everyone else kind of you know was just pitching in especially on the, on the davidson front obviously luca had 18 but you know hung jung lee had 11 sam maniga had 15 foster lawyer against his former team had 12 so they were just kind of pitching in from all efforts like no one really went supernova and i think that's kind of what cost Davidson was they needed one of their guys to, to really have a breakthrough performance. And you saw it a little bit with Maniga going, you know, three of five from three, but I, I wish he would have kept on taking more threes because that was really going to be the only way Davidson was going to win this game. If, if they just honestly shot more threes, they, they really kind of played with a, a slow effort, honestly, at times. And I, I thought they kind of pushed, should have pushed it. Uh, well, the one thing I did not see was Michigan State playing two high-scoring games in this NCAA tournament before bowing out. That, that was a surprise. They really brought the offense in both games. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, this was another game that kind of ended on free throws. Tyson Walker hit two with four seconds left to go up four, and then Young Jung hit one at the buzzer. But uh, Joey Hauser was the difference. I mean, he, he came to play. He was making shots all over the place, and that really paced Michigan State, Michigan State specifically the second half. This this game really picked up in the second half on both sides. Each team scored 42 in the second half, so it really picked up through the end of the game. And uh, I was impressed, by the way, Michigan State honestly played, even in their loss against Duke. I, I thought that they played two of their best performances a year in the tournament, and that's a credit to Tom Izzo getting his team ready. Absolutely. Is there any games? Is there any other games you want to talk about um, from Friday night? Obviously, LSU lost. Um, yeah, sad boy hours. Tyrese Hunter, you know, all right. 20 something percent <laughs> season three point shooter makes what? Seven? Three he, was, he was seven of 11. He was seven of 11 from three. 
after after the first ridiculous step back, you got it. You can't give him the second one though. That was kind of one LSU there. Um, so you got to tip your hat to Iowa State there in the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, this Miami UC, USC game was really fun. It it looked like USC was going to kind of sneak out of it. Miami was in control of the whole game, but then out of nowhere, USC started to kind of seize it back a little bit. But at the around like the five minute mark, but it was um. Yeah, it was it really kind of accentuated this Miami team and and the up and down nature of them because oh, yeah. at times you were like, all right, well Miami is going to cruise, then they then USC goes on a seventeen to two run to start the second half, and you're saying, okay, well this is uh, this is where Miami collapses, and you know USC kind of recaptures some of last year's magic. I've been really impressed by Isaiah Wong in both their games. Um, you know, his his first year at Miami, transferring over from where did he transfer over from? He transferred over from. Oh no, he's not the transfer. Who's the transfer? It's it's his back court mate, um, McGusty. McGusty's the transfer. But uh, Isaiah Wong's just sprung onto the scene this season. I think he's been one of the main reasons they've been successful. Uh. He really paced him in this game with 22 points. He also played great in the Auburn game. You're thinking of Charlie Moore. McGusty oh. transferred from Oklahoma yeah, like yeah, yeah. Two, two, three years ago. Gotcha, Charlie, gotcha. Moore, Charlie Moore went to DePaul. Yeah. That's Originally went to Kansas, about. though. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. But, uh, you know, this this game ended on a, another game of free throws. Yeah. <laughs> another the, game the, the rest on... did not get the memo Friday night. If, the... you, if, you're, if you're wondering what happened. Basically, the rest didn't get the memo Friday night, like the and, Thursday night rest. And day. also, the Drew Peterson shot the buzzer I thought was going in so hard. It 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 was just a little too yeah. hard. It just came off the backboard a little too hard, hit the front of the rim, and didn't go in. Uh, I, I think that would have made for one of the all-time March Madness buzzer beaters. But that was a great game too. I thought Andy Enfield did a great job in the second half, uh, really making some good coaching changes and allowing them to free up their offense after 20 points in the first half, scoring 46 in the second half is very impressive. But we'll move on to Saturday. We had some great games Saturday. Uh, I was at the UNC Baylor game. Baylor almost pulled off for tying the largest comeback in NCAA history. Uh, UNC was just lights out shooting basketball for the second game in a row. Brady Manick. Especially Caleb, Caleb Love, not as much in this game, but R.J. Davis. Brady Manick is just a man possessed by the by Larry Bird right now. It's just incredible, his three-point shooting. Then he gets ejected out of the game on a questionable elbow. And then Caleb What was Love, questionable about it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What was questionable about it? I don't know. I just, he elbowed him in the face. I know, but I don't think he saw him. It has to be intentional to be a flagrant, too. Uh, his, his elbows rose... At, uh, two proportions that made absolutely no sense. I'll just put it that way. However, okay. I am, I, I am still glad ejected a guy in the NCAA tournament game for that. I, I agree with you, but I am glad that basketball kind of has um, their stuff together. If you would a little bit more with this and they, they didn't, they didn't eject him and suspend him for the next game. Like they would in football, like for a targeting penalty. That is nice. I'm glad that Brady Manick gets to play the next game against UCLA, which is going to be awesome. But still, yeah. North, Carolina, North Carolina was able to, you know, pull hang it on out. to it. I, uh, I really I'm not going to so. say pull it out. I'm going to say hang on to it. They didn't, it didn't really pull anything out. 
Although I guess you can say in overtime, maybe they did, but no, they played really well in overtime. Uh, they did. Once Caleb Love went out with about five minutes ago, Baylor's guards just really took over the game. UNC had some inexperienced players filling in, but in overtime, their experienced guys really came through. RJ Davis and Armando Baycott played RJ Davis the whole game. I'm I'm not sure how many minutes he actually sat. He he played most of the game. It seemed like yeah. Armando. No, he Baycott, played. He played all forty five. Yeah, Armando Baycott played extremely well Armando Baycott was straight up wrestling for some of this game him and <laughs> him and Jeremy Sochan did not like each other they they were wrestling the whole game Sochan ended up on the ground about six times it was it was very physical extremely I was very game. impressed with Sochan I was very impressed impressed with yeah Sochan I was impressed with um Flagler. I, I Flagler. thought Flagler, Flagler really... hit some big time shots yeah. Akinjo was the one who got the and one to tie the game Kenjo couldn't buy a bucket from deep, though. He couldn't buy one. Um, but yeah, it was a great game. I, I really wish Baylor kind of could have pulled it off to, to set some history there. They scored 38 points in the last 10 minutes of regulation, did Baylor. <laughs> that's just that's completely unreal. But uh, we'll move from that game into a, a game I think that shocked a lot of people, which is Michigan-Tennessee game, Casey. I think we both saw Tennessee going pretty far in this tournament. I, I did, and honestly, during the game, I, I saw Tennessee going pretty far into it. Um, I, out of nowhere, Ben, like inexplicably, Tennessee just stopped driving the basketball. Like there was a point where Kennedy Chandler could do whatever he wanted, and it was almost like they got bored doing it. Um, they, there was a point where, where I thought Tennessee was really gonna just seize control in the second half when they they score it was an and one to go 60 to to 54 and it was josiah jordan james the line but he missed the free throw and then it was like all of a sudden bang michigan's right back in in the in the game i think they hit a three immediately after that so it was it it was kind of disheartening if you're a tennessee fan because you, you really felt like you controlled most of the game like I'm looking at the win probability right now on Ken Palm, and it doesn't cross Michigan territory for the win probability into under five minutes. Like they, they controlled most of this game at a 75, 60, even sometimes 80% win probability. And a a large part of that was because of Kennedy Chandler and, and his ability to just control this game as the point guard. He was, he was seemed phenomenal. to get to the rim whenever he wanted to. Yeah, and it was just like it stopped out of nowhere. He had he had 19 points and nine assists, but I, I think at half he had nine points and seven assists. Like he was able to do whatever he wanted, and I didn't really think that Michigan did anything different in the second half. Really, it was just like he stopped getting to the hole. Um, but shout out to Hunter Dickinson. I I. I yeah. I just get really critical of, of players like Hunter Dickinson, Luca Garza, the like classic back to the basket, big men, especially in the big 10, but Hunter Dickinson showed a big time and three of five from three is, is as well as you can ask for. And then going 80% from the foul line. It, I mean, he was, he was unbelievable. Yeah. I thought that really opened up the game was, was his ability to knock down some shots outside. They had to get on him, and then he was able to hit some cutters going to the, going to the basket. He had four assists. I think, one thing when I watch Michigan under Jawan Howard, they always cut really well, all of their wings and their guards. 
and that really showed up. And again, we talked about UCLA with their tournament experience just shining through. It really shined through this game, specifically with Dickinson and Eli Brooks. I just thought that they, at the end of the game, they they knew what to do out there. They had all the composure in the world, and I didn't think Tennessee had a lot. And Tennessee also went two of eighteen from three, which is never going to help at all. Yeah, um, my, my guy Vescovy, n- not good. No, definitely one of five a, for Vescovy, zero uh... of six for Josiah James Jordan, who's a guy I've complained about all year because he is huge, left-handed, got a good handle, and he refuses to go to the rim. It seems like he was going to the rim in the first half, and then literally after he missed that free throw, he just decided I'm a three-point shooter for the rest of the game, and he he would not stop taking the threes. Like it was. It was very frustrating to watch. Um, I, I can't believe Vescovy went out like that, to be, to be honest with you. Um, it did seem very passive the whole game, which I get it whenever Kennedy Chandler had it going like that. I mean, you know, let's you're shooting the way you're shooting, too. I mean, yeah, he shot he shot two of seven from the field, one of five from three. Like he couldn't he could not buy a bucket, dude. It was yeah. it was kind of hard to watch, especially after the performance he had last game where he went six of eight. And I get it, it's Longwood, but like still, like they were all open threes. Like it wasn't like he was shooting contested threes against Michigan. So um uh, well, pretty disheartening for him. Yeah. Do you think he's gonna do you think he's gonna leave? He's a junior. Vescovy, I have no clue. I have no clue. Uh, but the Rick Barnes slander continues throughout the country. I've heard a lot of Rick Barnes slander about getting out of the first two rounds of the tournament. But again, but, like hold on, hold on. Well, one thing on that note, because I want to slander Fran McCaffrey too. Like Fran McCaffrey, I don't think I think Fran McCaffrey's allergic to defensive drill and practice. Um, and like I, I love slandering Rick Barnes. Like, let's go back to his Texas days and and look at some of the teams that he had that he never did anything with. But respectfully, Tennessee just couldn't hit it like water if they fell out of a boat, and Iowa couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. Like it's not like it happens in the tournament. Yeah, sometimes. It, it just happens. It's not like Ben. They played into their team's strength that they were facing in the second year in a row. Um, like another big 10 coach that we'll get to in the Sunday slate. But yeah. The, the Saturday night slate was also very good. The St. Peter's Murray game. I thought was an excellent game. St. Peter's showed they were no fluke. They played extremely well in the defensive end. I thought to hold this Murray state team, to 60 points. And then Doug Adair, the, the, the closer just came in. I think he had, I want to say he had two or three points going into the last media timeout and he ended the game with 13 points. Yeah. He took over. It was it was hilarious. Um, like Murray, I was watching, you know, I, I got back and I was at the park and I got back and it looked like Murray was kind of starting to come back. And I thought, okay, well, here's where Murray sees his control. As someone with a Murray Sweet 16 plus 730 ticket, um, I was definitely cheering for Murray State. I'm not going to lie about it. Um, no, I'm very happy St. Peter's won. Like, good for them. I, and I love Doug Ebert. But he just took over. And he like, – like, this is not an exaggeration. Like, this is not hyperbole. Like, him coming off a screen is perfect. Like, everything he does – is perfect like he whips his hips around to the basket his feet are square he catches it 
He allows the ball to like travel into him. He uses the momentum of the ball. He generates spin. He follows through. Like it is a perfect jump shot on a three pointer. And like the funniest thing is he doesn't take many of them against Kentucky. He was two of two against Murray state. He was one of two. Like uh, he only takes them when they matter and he makes them like Doug Ebert is a complete savage. He's the um, closer. Did you see, uh, did you see that his uncle like works for CBS or something? No, I didn't see that. Yeah. His uncle works for CBS. And so like, he's been like cutting up different stuff and like editing it for him. And, um, he like asked off to like, to like watch his nephew. And they're like, of course you can have off. Like That's incredible. <laughs> you don't, your nephew doesn't play in the NCAA tournament. And not only that, but your nephew doesn't make clutch threes while looking like a porn star. Yeah. That mustache. Oof. <laughs> the thing that impressed me about St. Peter's in this game was they did not shoot the ball as well as they did in that Kentucky game. They really relied on their defense. It showed me that they weren't a fluke because they can win a game a lot of different ways. And this game was with their defense and their free throw shooting. They got to line 31 times in this game, made 23 of them. They had eight different guys attempt a free throw. And almost every single one of them did well at the line. None of them missed more than two. I mean, Doug Adair went four or six, and Nadefo went seven and nine. That was that was the worst free throw per shooting shooting they got on the team. They finished at seventy five percent, twenty three at thirty one. Meanwhile, Murray Murray kind of struggled from the free throw line. I was disappointed with Tevin Brown, one of four from the free throw line, five of seventeen from the field for the game, and and conversely, they finished sixteen of twenty five from the free throw line as a team for sixty four percent. I thought that was a big theme of the game was was St. Murray's being able to get to the free throw line consistently and make their free throws. You mean St. Peter's? Yeah, I meant St. Peter's. Mary's. I mean, Murray got their free throw line a lot of times too. They they just didn't put them down. Yeah, they, they definitely did. Anything else you want to discuss from the Saturday cap? Um, UCLA definitely I, controlled that game. Um, yeah, I thought Memphis had Gonzaga on the ropes there for a while. Memphis, Ooh. I, I got to give, I got to give, uh, we talked, I don't know if we talked bad about Penny Hardaway, but Penny gets a lot of flack specifically this we did. year. I, I, I know, I know I have some Penny Hardaway takes out there. I'll, I'll admit it. I was wrong. I got to give a lot of props to Penny Hardaway, the way he closed the season the last month and a half and the way he had his team prepared for this game. They had a great game plan. I really, I really truly believe they would have won the game if they didn't have their bigs get in foul trouble. I think Jalen Duran was doing an excellent job defensively on Timmy and Holmgren. He was showing his physicality down in the post. And I, I think they just got in foul trouble too much and couldn't quite stand up. You know, once their big guys got in foul trouble, Drew Timmy just really took over there for a good six, seven minute stint and, and was able to reverse the tide after I want to see Gonzaga was down 10 points at halftime. And then they got up, you know, six or eight going into the last half of the second half or the last five minutes. But um, I'm, I was very impressed by Penny Hardaway's game plan for this game. On January 20th, Ben, they were nine and eight, three and four in the conference. They had just lost three in a row to UCF, East Carolina, SMU. Not one of those teams made the tournament. They, I mean, just what a, what a performance from, from Penny Hardaway this year to only lose two games after January 20th before heading into the tournament and you know you you give Gonzaga the scare of their life I mean I I, I can't speak highly enough of Penny Harway and, and the way he kind of kind of rebounded after just a a dismal start I mean 
it was it was looking bleak there in Memphis for a second. It was. I, I'd like to mention Andrew Nebhardt as well. It seems like he's been around forever, but I thought this was one of his better games of his career. The way he shot the ball from the outside was really able to keep the Memphis guards honest and not always dive in on Timmy and Holmgren. I think Andrew Nebhardt is getting some is going to get some major draft stock hype out of these these this close to the, his uh, college career here with the Gonzaga tournament run. I've been very impressed with the way he's been playing. I mean, he's a six five guard who can hit threes, so. That, that kind of tells you all you need to know about the kid. He's he's definitely going to get some looks. Is there any other games from Saturday you want to discuss? I mean, no, it was it was a great day of basketball. Oh, Saturday I'll, was I'll, great. I'll, I'll say that. I'll say that. I thought Sunday was just as good. It, it started with this Houston Illinois game, which uh, I think we both loved as as not as not Illinois believers. The oh, job- hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not. A, a not Illinois believer. I like the players Illinois has. I'm just I'm just a Brad Underwood truther. I, I, that's really what it boils down to. I, I, second year in a row, Ben. He just it, it's like it's not the fact that he lost in the second round. Like I, I get it. Like it's not. I, I don't think the season's a failure. Like Illinois had a great year. Like shout out to him. Like I don't even think he's that bad of a coach. But you can't play into the other team's strengths. And this is what he does in March. It's it's insanity. The fact that you're going to run a dribble handoff offense against Houston. Like, are you out of your mind? Like, you don't want your guards anywhere near the top of the key against, against Houston. Like, the less your guards have to dribble against that defense, the better. And you have Kofi Coburn inside, who's the biggest matchup, and you don't like I didn't really use him, and like I get it. Like yes, he gets tired, but you, you got to go down with your best ship. And they did not. They were just dribbling around the perimeter, and Houston was absolutely just whipping them. Like it was they they should not have shown that on television, Ben. It was it was very disheartening to watch what Houston was doing to those guards. Calvin Sampson just impresses me every year with what he gets out of his team. They lost their two best players this season early in the season. They had some not great performances during the conference year. The way they've come out in this tournament, I think, has been very impressive. Just just pulled away from a really pesky UAB team in the first game. Just straight up dominated Illinois in the second half of this game. It was pretty much all effort, hustle, intensity. Uh, Jamal Sheed made some some made some really big shots in this game. I will say he was he was great on the offensive end, seven of thirteen from the field for 18 points. He also had three steals and three assists. I thought he was one of the X factors in this game, but it's just Houston. It's just, uh, it's a team effort. Everyone chips in. Everyone gets it done. Fabian White went one eighth in the field. I thought he played an excellent game. Hit seven rebounds, three offensive, had some great hustle plays that, that one we think of whenever they had the deflection, he runs all the way to the sideline, throws it back in balance perfectly to the guy on the fast break. That just kind of epitomizes Houston basketball to me. They always play as a team. They always stay connected, and uh, they always give 100% effort. And I think Kelvin Sampson is probably his best coaching job. Yeah, I I, I love Kelvin Sampson because th- that's that's a guy who kind of got screwed over by the NCA in 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 0- 07, 08 when he was with Indiana and. 
really Indiana has not regained the form since Kelvin Sampson left. No, they have like not. like they were they were twenty two and four at the time he got dismissed for the you know NCA violations, quote unquote. Um, he was you know he was paying players. Who cares? He was I don't even know he really was paying anyone. He just kind of hired Eric Gordon's like family to be to be on staff, which everyone does that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, Kelvin Sampson is to me one of the most underrated coaches in all of college basketball, first of all. And I almost think that people don't want to talk about him because like the whole scandal and NCA violations, but he's, I, I mean, hell, he's a top five coach. I mean, easily, like, easily, like, especially once, especially once Kaylee's like, easily a top five coach in my mind. Like, so I, I'm not gonna, we'll, we'll discuss like, that list in the off season, but I, I did want to share one story of, of Kelvin Sampson, if you don't mind. So I have a friend who played Juco ball and he got invited to do a preferred walk-on tryout at Houston. And he's a, he's a, he's a very good scoring guard, uh, but his defense is a little lacking. And he said he knew it was not going to be a match when the first drill, the first drill that they did in practice was they started rolling the balls out and it's the drill where you just roll the ball out and you go against another guy and you have to win the ball. And he said that was like 30, 40 minutes of practice was just them doing that drill. And when I watched them every single time I watched them, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure they do whole practices. They probably have three, four hours the way they play uh they just they're they're relentless on the offensive boards and and that's a that's a that's a skill and that's an identity of a team that that plays in march and that's why they're gonna keep marching on potentially yeah we'll see um the team they'll face off with was this arizona team this was that game this is one of the most entertaining <laughs> basketball games I've ever seen in my entire life. It was pay, played at a Indy 500 pace. You had two incredible guards and in Ben Matherin and Mike Miles just really leading their teams. Ben Matherin didn't shoot well in this game, but I thought he played excellent. He did all the little things. He got some offensive rebounds. The dunk he had. Um, he baptized them. <laughs> He baptized. I almost called my parents and told me I told them I was scared because <laughs> he he ended that man's life. I don't know how the game didn't end right there. The game should have been called off, but they TCU really TCU gave them everything they had. A, a game, a career defining performance from Eddie Lampkin out of nowhere, which is oh, all hustle. Where, uh, uh, like. I think I think that's see these are the things that that happened in March where I'm like people wouldn't believe me if I if I said I watched the sport all year long because they'd be like well why you, you said Arizona was going to be able to control and like TC wouldn't be able to score enough and I'm like yeah cuz Eddie Lampkin decides he wants to have a 20 and 10 game out of nowhere like Ten that's all like, of rebounds like that's you know I'm sorry it's he had 2014 really- that's right he had 2014 10 of them were just offensive rebounds like that that doesn't happen like he hasn't done that all year long he hasn't done that in his career like no this is by far the best game he's ever played in his career not to mention Arizona is a great rebounding team they always have 
Coloco, Ballo, and either Tubulus or Larson out there. Three huge guys, and he just found holes. Yeah, and I will say they do have the best uh, – TCU has the best offensive rebound percentage in the uh, country, but I think these uh, these numbers were updated after the game, so I don't know. Maybe they're a little skewed. Uh, yeah, that. 20 in one game will we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, on the Arizona side, you know, Ben Rathman only shot 8 of 19, but got to the free throw line 13 times, made 11 of them. His toughness and determination – I think just shine through in this game and, and really let him. They they look to him a lot whenever their offense wasn't going quite white, and he was great. I will say Christian Coloco was awesome as well, always being the dump off guy, always finishing hard around the basket, and ultimately he won the game on the putback dunk in overtime. But this was one of my favorite college basketball games in a while. I just I wish every basketball game ever was played at this pace. <laughs> well, a game that was you know played at a fast pace but played at a fast pace kind of one way and that's Miami Auburn um you've been you've been on the Auburn's kind of fraudulent train all year long um I've definitely been on the Auburn's guards are fraudulent train but I thought eventually Bruce Pearl and Wendell Green would wake up and say hey that guy's Jabari Smith he's the best player they did not and Auburn's going home in the second round. They, they got absolutely boat race in this game, and it, it really wasn't close. Miami controlled the game start to finish. Um, Miami never trailed in this game. Never yeah. trailed. I will say uh, Auburn pushed really hard at the end of the first half and went in the first uh, half at 33-32. You know, Jabari got up a lot of shots, but a lot of them were three-pointers. Um, you know, he's so good at getting inside and getting those mid-range, getting to the basket that I, I didn't really like that from him. Yeah, Walker shot eight threes. I'm like, you can't yeah, do that. Walker Custer went 0 of 6. Uh, shout out to the Miami big man. I've not paid much attention to him this year. Sam Wardenberg. He played incredible on the defensive end of this game. He got every loose ball. He was defending Walker Custer incredibly. He was defending his rim. He had two blocks for the game. He had five defensive rebounds. I wish there was a loose. Minutes. I wish there was a loose ball stat because he got a lot of loose balls in this game. Only committed one foul. I thought he played really well, but the story of the game was was Miami on the fast break. Every single they they forced I think thirteen turnovers. They must have turned every single one of those into points. They almost had thirty fast break points in this game. They just ran Auburn to death. A team that likes to run. They ran him to death the other way. They kind of took advantage of Walker Kessler not being able to run, you know, as much as some other big men in the country can. And they were just so impressive. Their intensity on the defensive end, always crowding Auburn's guards, was really good. Katie Johnson, not a great end not to the good. season. <laughs> not a great end to the season for him when you factor in that AM game. And then this game where he turned the ball over four times and went one of six from three. Um, Auburn's guards just flat out weren't good enough in this game. Absolutely. Um, Jay Wright gets it done again. Nova's Nova's going to the Sweet 16 again. They they were in control of that Ohio State game the whole time. I mean, not much to talk. Uh, the guard play of Nova is going to play in in March, and Jay Wright's kind of got his team peaking at the right time. Um, I do want to talk about this Texas Tech Notre Dame game, which Me was. Too. Um, I mean. Texas Tech needed every Texas Tech every 
bit of that 59 points. Texas Tech wasted all of their shots in the first they round game. They shot 38% from the two-point line. And For then some reason, Texas Tech wasted all their shots in this first round game against Montana State. They scored 97 points in this game. They shot 12 of 20 from the three-point line, and they shot 67% from the field. And I was kind of scared watching it because I was like, this team does not shoot the ball like that. It's not going to happen again, and that's exactly what happened. They could not buy a shot, specifically by the rim. They looked like LSU this year at by the rim. They They couldn't buy a layup. They couldn't buy anything. They had 12 offensive rebounds in this game, and they only attempted 15 threes, and they shot 35% from the field. They were getting a lot of high-quality looks at the rim on offensive rebounds and on drives, and they just couldn't finish anything, man. And and what kept Notre Dame in this game was their three-point shooting. They made nine threes in this game. Uh, I was impressed with their guards. I, I thought they hung in there. You know, it's a tough Texas Tech defense. Gooden and Ryan really – uh really played tough and Mike Bray is just a damn good basketball coach. We always, you know, we kind of write off these teams because they don't play well during the year the, you know, these, but these experienced coaches and experienced players tend to always shine through in March. Yeah, I was, I was really impressed with Texas tech though. And, and, and just their effort defensively. I, my, my dream finals, I think is, is Texas tech Houston. Um, I want to, I want a 32 29 game. In, in in the dome that's that's my goal yeah they won the they won the game on their defense uh the three crucial possessions coming down the last two minutes they had two steals and a block on those three Notre Dame's possessions so Notre Dame got not a shot up in three other last four possessions and on the other end Texas Tech was able to make some free throws and put it away but uh last game before we close yeah. Sunday though let's let's talk about them Duke, they looked really good. Not gonna lie, Mark Williams was an absolute stud, and they looked pretty scary. I, I agree. Say it. I agree. I thought they looked really good. I, again, I was impressed by the way Michigan State played in this game uh, offensively. I did not think they were gonna be able to hang in there offensively with Duke, especially the way Duke uh, was able to score in this game and shoot the basketball. Fifty-seven percent from the field for Duke. One of Paulo Bencaro's better games I've seen him play. I thought that he was pretty efficient. He didn't take many bad shots. He went 8-14 from the field, had seven rebounds and four assists. The guy I was most impressed by, by um, Duke, I don't mean to interrupt, was Jeremy Roach. Yeah, I was actually going to say... Wendell Moore? Yeah, the guy I'm always impressed by when I watch Duke this year has been Wendell Moore. I thought... I just like the way he plays basketball. He seems to always make good decisions. I like his stroke. I think he's got a really good stroke. And um, I'm always impressed by the way he plays. Yeah, he looks, he looks really good. Um, he's a junior, and he was born in 2001. If that doesn't make you feel old, I don't know what will. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so so we're set up for this this Duke-Texas Tech game, which I think is going to be a great game of contrasting styles, and I, and I can't wait for it. Yeah, we'll we'll preview that. We'll preview that and all the Sweet Sixteen matchups in the next episode. Um, but before we get out of here, we do have a just a, a few you know high level things to discuss regarding the first and second rounds of the tournament. Um, what team are you most impressed by, Ben? Against all the haters, against all the calls of being a lucky team, this Providence team 
came out and put together two extremely good performances, I thought, against two very different styles of teams. Uh, I just thought they played really well in both games. Um, their stars shone through. I th- thought their coaching shone through. They, they played really disciplined basketball in both of these games. And uh, I've been impressed by what they've been doing this year, and they continued it. And I, I think they got a shot at Kansas. I think they have a shot at Kansas too. Um, My team's also a a team that's going to be playing a number one seed and that's the Houston Cougars. Um, I said they were going to beat UAB. Um, You were a little bit more skeptical. You you thought this Houston team is kind of fraudulent. Um, That being said, I kind of didn't see them beating Illinois and the, the contract, you know, talking about contrasting styles between your opponents I think that really sums up this Houston team as well with the first game trying to control Jelly Walker and control a three-point barrage. And then in the second game needing to battle Coburn on the inside. It showed me that, you know, defensively they can play against any team in the country. And I, I, I just love defense come, come March. And we're going to see that going against, you know, the immovable ob- object against the unstoppable force, is definitely the analogy that you should be using for this game with Houston and, and Arizona because Houston's the tenth best defense in the country, and then Arizona's the tenth, the seventh best offense in the country. Um, so these are these are just two awesome teams, and it's gonna be really fun to watch. Yeah, Casey, how about what team were you most disappointed in? You know, I, I could say Tennessee. Um, but I'm actually going to say UConn. And, and the reason is, respectfully to the rest of New Mexico State, you only had to stop one person. Like, it, it, there was no secret about, like, <laughs> what what New Mexico State was going to do. It wasn't like a, oh, we haven't seen this team all year long. Like, what are they going to – what are they about? Um, no, y- y- you know exactly – what New Mexico state's about. And it's Teddy Allen. Like that's, that's the heart and soul of the team. And I, I get it. They didn't, they didn't play bad defense. I mean, he went six, six to 17 from two, but what they really got killed was the four seven from three. And it was a timely four seven from three and they, they couldn't stop fouling. Him. Like it was, it was honestly, it was honestly James Harden esque, like what, what Teddy Allen was kind of doing to them, doing to them. And, he was just controlling the tempo. I was really disappointed with Tyrese Martin. Um, didn't didn't feel like he he showed up really at all in this game, and and that's kind of disheartening for a senior. And you know, Sonoga was just not really a force on the inside, and and he's got to he's got to dominate that matchup down low with, with McNair and and McCants. So that was that was just kind of embarrassing, honestly. Like I I thought they were going to be better than that. Tyler Polly didn't shoot the ball well at all, and they just rolled over. And also, Dan Hurley, um, I, I want to bring this up. You got your guy getting trapped at, at midcourt. You're watching your guy get trapped at midcourt. I want to say it was R.J. Cole, and he just doesn't call a timeout. Like, he just he just let his guy get trapped. So that was just uh, – yeah, it, it, was, it was not a good performance. I was really disappointed in them. What about you? Yeah, we talked about them earlier, but Kentucky and specifically their three guards, you know, the experience of Kellen Grady and Severe Wheeler and then the pedigree of Ty Ty Washington. I just expected a lot better performance out of them. 
not even shooting wise. I mean, people don't shoot the ball well sometimes, but you know, the, the way they kind of settled for shots against the St. Peter's team when they had obvious size advantages in the guard position, the way they got flustered by, by some of the pressure they were putting on them and the, the passes they made weren't great. And the decisions they made in the half court weren't great, specifically severe Wheeler. And uh, I just did not expect that at all out of them. I, I just really did not. And out of Coach Cal, extremely disappointing performance. Absolutely. What about your player of the tournament so far? Or I guess like just player through the first two games. The the game last night that Christian Coloco played, I thought was excellent. Um, his rolls through the lane are just unstoppable. He gets the ball in his hands, and he's so smooth on that roll that he is he is incredible. I I think he's gonna be an end up being an NBA player. I really do. He's got great energy on the basketball court. He's always running around. He also guards guards really well. Whenever he gets uh, whenever he gets switched on the guards, I think he stays with them really well. He's a great defender. He had a couple blocks in that game. You know, they had a lot of offensive rebounds, but I don't know if that was specifically up to him. I, I thought the Arizona guards were kind of getting driven by a lot, and Coloco was forced to contest a shot, and that's really what caused the offensive rebounds. But um, I was very impressed by the performance he had Sunday night. Agreed. I mean, that was that was definitely his best performance of the year. Uh, I mean, that was that was a season high of twenty eight points, and you add in seven offensive rebounds and and five defensive runs. and the winning runs. dunk. So, yeah, yeah, he uh, that was a exclamation point, definitely big time. My player is going to be Doug Eater, just because. I mean, what's what's there to say? Like, he's the closer. I mean, they respectfully like St. Peter's doesn't win those games. If it wasn't for Doug Eater, just hitting, you know, what kind of shots, I mean, I'm not going to get too graphic about it, but he was just, he was putting it all on the line and in crunch time to be hitting shots against Kentucky and against Murray state with your season on the line and the game on the line. It, it, it just shows like the kid has ice waters in his veins because he was he was money from the free throw line. He was hitting threes, and and what was really impressive was even on the plays where it was obviously designed for him to take a three coming off a screen, he still has the patience and basketball IQ to pump fake it to the lane and and make a floater. And he he was he was being a complete player on on, on the offensive end, and and he plays great defense as well. So shout out to Doug Eater. And my coach is going to be his his because it's Shaheen Holloway. Um, Shaheen Holloway is, you know, uh, there's there's reports right now that he's going to take the Seton Hall job. Um, Shaheen, I'm not your agent, but maybe maybe don't take that job just yet. I'd I'd hold off on on it and and just keep coaching and and see see what other jobs come come, come available because he is he's coaching circles around big time coaches in, in Cal and Matt Bavan. I will say Shaheen Holloway is a former uh Seton Hall player, I believe. And he so is, he I, is. And 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 did you see the stat that was uh the last time a jer- a team from Jersey was in the sweet sixteen? Their point <laughs> was guard him. was 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 Shaheen Holloway. That's yeah, great. I mean, but look, I, I get it's your alma mater, but you know, hey <laughs> just 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 Vet out your options. That's all I'm saying. Just let them. Just let them vet out. 
my coach was going to be Kelvin Sampson, but I feel like we kind of talked about the great job he's done. I think we got to talk about this Iowa State team a little bit, and uh, you're going to have to help me with the last name, but TJ Oswaldsburg? I think it's Oshulter. Oshulter. Okay. Well, he has a limited team, and this team struggles to score the ball. They That's don't way to put it. <laughs> yeah. They don't have a ton of inside presence. He's just working with a lot of limitations. And I thought the the way he paced the game on both ends of the floor and the defensive uh, game plan he had for Tari Eason and for Johnny Davis, I, I thought was good. Uh, kind of held them both at bay. Didn't let them take over the game. Didn't let LSU's pressure defense take advantage of them. And, uh, I will say Wisconsin kind of they wanted to play, over. Yeah, they kind of folded into what Iowa State wanted to do. And uh that's just, just not little, huh? that's just not the way. I thought uh, LSU honestly had a even though they just weren't in it at all, they honestly had a better game plan, I thought, to beat this team with but trying to you know speed them up a little bit. But um, you know, they got two big scoring performances. Uh, by Hunter in the first game and Kalsher in the second game, and it was just enough. And uh, I just think for him to get this team with not a ton of talent, specifically on the offensive end, into a Sweet 16 is pretty impressive out of him. And uh, I do believe he's a good coach. Definitely. Well, that wraps up this episode of On the Line. Um, as always, like, subscribe, share. Uh, we're on at the on the line on Twitter, NTA. And we're also on all Spotify, you know, podcast platforms. So we really appreciate the support. And as always, see ya.